Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. My name is Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and uh, yeah, uh, you know, we're back, we're in action. Unfortunately, last week, uh, we didn't record an episode on the Monday deliberately, because there was a big game on the Monday night. Was it Man City or was it Liverpool? It was uh, Liverpool-West Ham Liverpool at the West Stadium. And then, uh, due to things out of our control, we couldn't record on the Wednesday. So, uh, that was out the window. But we are back, very much back uh, today. And as you've already heard, I'm not on my own. I do have with me um, the finest man around London town, uh, the pride of Peckham himself, Chet Pitbrook. It's so good to be here. Do you prefer the pride of Peckham or pride of Salisbury? Uh, neither. Neither. Uh, <laughs> Where would you where would you be the pride of if you were to be the pride of anywhere? Well, uh, I think for personal brand reasons, like associating yourself with where you live in London is better than associating yourself with like the nice place that your parents live. Uh, so in home the, home of the that strip said, house. I actually lived. I'm kind of originally from Lewisham, so I feel like I am. Oh my god, this is really bad. Can uh, we please start again? No, we can't start again. But what we can say is that Jack is the pride of. His family, uh, and so to kind. my, and to my, and also the pride of the independent, and to my left, Twitter bio, to my left, uh, on obviously Twitter. on his phone, on Twitter, as you might have predicted, it is the chief of writer of the independent. His name is half Irish, is half Spanish, much like himself. It's Miguel Delaney. Hello. Um, would you like to talk about Red Dead Redemption, or should we just no, no, we'll we'll let's, 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 let's not talk about Red uh, Dead Redemption? Um, <laughs> if you want to, uh, Miguel is going to be starting a new computer gaming podcast of his own. Please get in touch with him, Miguel Delaney at Independent Co. Uh, for the rest of us, I'm afraid it's just football, and we're going to start off with this weekend's games. And you know what? I'm going to say to you, Miguel, you can pick one game you want to talk about from this weekend. Which one's it going to be? Uh, the one I was at. Which the was, one you were uh, at. Good choice. City's thrashing of Chelsea. Um, Jack. This seems like a moderately significant result when Chelsea are losing 6-0. Yeah, it's the kind of result that only... It does make you stand up and think, wow, like this... What an unusual result, given how in the last... In, you know, Chelsea have been built for years on being difficult to beat, having a strong defence, being solid, having a kind of, like, grit that not all of the big six teams have had. Uh, and they... They are now completely unrecognisable from any other Chelsea team I can remember in the last few years. Like I had a, this morning, I decided to type "worse than AVB" into the Twitter search box and got thousands of tweets from Chelsea fans saying exactly that about Mauricio Sarri. Uh, I wonder whether Sarri's relationship with the Chelsea fans might be completely broken. I mean, I, it seems like it's now an incredibly niche view among Chelsea fans to want to get to want to support him. Like the rest of them seems so against him. It is. An, it's an interesting dynamic that has grown up in that way and. Actually, maybe this maybe the nature of modern football sport and all that, but in, in just how how divided it's become. I, I think you're right. I think the majority of Chelsea fans are really, really just not having this at all. But then there's this kind of really intense minority who are basically la- labelling the rest of them as kind of anti-intellectual, duller, you know, because yeah. because they don't get what Sarri is trying to do. It's, it's quite interesting because 
I basically, I mean, I, I haven't really spent a lot of time uh, on social media since that game, mm. so I haven't seen any of this. I have noticed among Chelsea fans that I know are tiring towards Sarri, you know. Yeah. But surely they realise there's going to be no better time to kind of rebuild. They're going to have to rebuild anyway. Willian's out of contract mm. soon. Uh, Pedro, you know, all the old guys, basically David Luiz, uh, Hazard's probably leaving, yeah. let's be honest. So all these guys are leaving. So you've got a guy who can use young players, a guy who plays good football. I know it doesn't always work, but, you know, Pep Guardiola had a season to get it right, and I think Sarri deserves at least a season, uh, do you not? Also, Guardiola basically had... I mean, the, the, the situations couldn't be more different. Guardiola came into a club that was essentially built for him, where even specifically Guardiola-minded players bought a year in advance, people like Sterling, De Bruyne, whereas that just hasn't happened to Chelsea. And one of the complaints I heard apparently, that Chelsea players are making now is that they think that basically that there's an overload of tactical instructions now. And what they say, basically, this squad isn't tactically intelligent enough. And it, this, this is what it gets back to, whereas Pep Guardiola walked into that ideal situation for him. Sarri's gone into a situation that none, none of it's really... The squad isn't built the way... It's not constructed in a way that's conducive to his football. In fact, there's an argument that this Chelsea team actually needs managers who come in and are able to apply a easy-to-understand idea, a, a short-term managers like that. Um, and then there's the whole question of, the, of what, what Chelsea want to be as a club, which is maybe a, a wider issue. Um, I, feel so, I do feel a bit sorry for Sarri, because I think he's actually... He's quite an honest. Like he's actually a bit refreshing as a coach. Not just when his football is good, but in terms of there are few kind of agendas when he speaks. He's quite honest. I think he's got good ideas, but this, this, even allowing for these wider questions about Chelsea, it feels like this is a bit. Just, I think. I think they. I think the whole the whole idea has bit off far more than it can chew. Yeah. Like the, the, the structural barriers to Sarri succeeding are massive. Mm. Like like you say, the comparison with Pep, the more you try and think about it, the more you realise, in fact, the situations are really very different. Like yeah. Pep was always going to have endless money, endless patience, buy-in from players, buy-in from fans. Sarri hasn't got any of that. Uh, and I think I, I think you're right that the ultimately Chelsea squad is not conditioned for someone like Sarri. No, I think... it. There's also there's an interesting thing. Um, a friend of mine was at the Opta Pro Forum. I think that's what it's called the other day. Like it's a big statistical sort of thing where people put on seminars and, and show the, the latest in analytics in football, essentially. And and it, one of the presentations was about how Chelsea came to the decision to hire Sarri. And if you look at the numbers of his Napoli team, it was an outstanding football team based on what they could do with the ball, with not huge amounts of resources put into that playing squad but then what he made happen on the pitch from scant resources was very impressive if Chelsea believe that they hired that guy which they must do because you know that was something they worked on all summer and you know it dragged out but that was always the guy they wanted why would you not stick with him for longer than a year is is do you I mean do you see any way that they do actually fire him before the end of this season yeah, I think it's possible. Although from the indications are that they're gonna um, say things at the moment, but I think it's basically because it requires too much change around Chelsea to really maybe bring out the best of Harry. And when when it really comes to it, I do wonder whether the club has that much patience because they can basically just see, well, okay, we can make all these changes, but we can also get someone that will work right now. Uh, an agent put it to me yesterday that a lot of this, especially given you mentioned Napoli, like it's basically like somehow. 
an idealist like Che Guevara was imposed on the, a superpower like the USA as president because that's, that's going to the difference in outlook in both. Chelsea are just uh, the most modern of super clubs in that way, even if their lack of investment rate has seen them, has seen them drop away a bit, which is another wider issue, I think. Um, and he and Sari is basically an idealist. So even even the way he was speaking after the game yesterday, and even the way he behaves with his coaching, like he he's, he's immune to a lot of the pressures of, of big clubs in that way. Yeah, I just think like the more I think about it, the more I think Sari is probably the right man at the wrong time. Yeah. Like, the one thing we know about managers coming in to work at a club, like you know, people always talk about Pochettino 2014, Klopp 2015, Guardiola 2016. All those guys had young players. Yeah. You need young players to, to buy in so yeah. that you can mould them. Starry doesn't have any young players. It's, an inc- it's a really old Chelsea squad. And until they get some younger players, I don't see how someone like him could work. Also, they all those clubs, even then, gave the managers more um, authority, maybe in terms of... Not so much bringing players in, but actually getting rid of players right, that yeah, didn't yeah, want to play, which is pretty key. Like Pep got to get rid of uh, Joe Hart eventually, Yaya Torre, Mangala. Um, Poch got rid of Kabul, Asuakoto, yeah. Lennon, Adebayor, Benson, Townsend. Klopp even got rid of. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> the word they got rid of Sturridge and then brought him back. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, you do need. You're right. Like the manager needs authority to make those changes, and he needs young players. And Sarri is just like it's so hard. Like it's just not going to happen. It's yeah. So I think we can say now that it's like it, he doesn't have the conditions, and isn't going to have the conditions he needs to impose inverted commas Sarri ball. And, 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 he, and, he, and he's not a pragmatist in the way that will kind of get them out of this hole no. for the moment. Okay, here's here's one I was thinking. Who are the kind of short term get the lads going again options? <laughs> It's actually well. They can't. They basically can't bring Conte back because there's just too much discord there between. Them. <laughs> but but a, a Conte example is kind of is someone like. Go on, sorry. One uh, legendary Euro- Europa League winning manager, formerly of Chelsea, who will be out of contract this summer. Currently works in the Premier League. Has a little moustache. It's Rafa, mate. <laughs> of course, actually. <laughs> Rafa's issue with Chelsea was always that the fans hated him yeah. but now they've got Chelsea got a manager who the fans hate even more than they hated Rafa so politically like? now is the best time to bring Rafa <laughs> yeah, back yeah. in and the Chelsea fans will be like actually you know what he didn't think he was proper Chelsea last time but he's more Chelsea than, than <laughs> Sarri let's get Rafa back in you heard it here first in the pen.co.uk who who uh, was it that was wanted Rafa to get the Arsenal job? I'm me. Sure you wrote it was that, literally right? me. Yeah, yeah, you wrote yeah. that. I thought it was. Uh, so I think we've seen that Jack likes Rafa. We stand Rafa on this podcast. Um, we do. Uh, anything else from Man City, Chelsea, Jack? Uh, what? I mean, is there anything to say from the Man City point of view apart from Bravo? Uh, it was a little bit. I mean, I, I know the Arsenal comparison's been laboured, but it literally was like watching. Uh, like late Wenger Arsenal go to City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United and get absolutely totaled in the first 20 minutes. Like what? scoring from every attack. I think City, were it not for the Newcastle game 10 days ago, City, like generally speaking, are on another level at the moment. But they still requ- they will they will still require another drop from Liverpool, from Liverpool in order to make it. What's I think they'll do it. I think they'll what's do a more it. insulting description of a team? Late Wenger Arsenal or late Mourinho United? Uh, that's a good one. I mean, Wenger never had a Mourinho season, no. so but they were just the like consistently rubbish for a long time. The season when they got knocked out by like Bradford City and stuff, all that. That was really bad, but they would always like wind up finishing fourth or fifth yeah. anyway. At the bottom, Cardiff City are the big winners. An incredible finish uh, to the game in Southampton, where it looked like they'd blown it. 
but they won with a late, late, late goal from Kenneth Zahor, who we've not heard a lot about this season. Cardiff are outside the relegation zone for the first time in what must be months. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the actual statistic, but Huddersfield and Fulham are a long way off. But then we have Southampton on 24, Newcastle 24, Cardiff 25, Brighton 27, Palace 27. I think Palace and Brighton will be fine, but the rest of those teams, it's four teams basically battling to avoid one relegation spot. How are you feeling about the battle at the bottom at the moment, Jack Pitbrook? Uh, I'm feeling very bad for Fulham. Uh, I went to Craven Cottage on Saturday, and Fulham were terrible. Like they are, they're a complete mess. Like the Ranieri is another manager with no buy-in. Uh, the fans don't like him. They don't like the fact that he's tried to rip up the Ukanovic style. They don't like the fact he's benched Kearney and Sessegnon. They, they just, they're not taking to him. They're booing him. They booed his decisions on Saturday. I don't think the players especially like him either. And I think they're definitely going. I think I just think they're definitely going down. Like Looking good. <laughs> yeah, there's no like. I don't see how it gets much better than there because you need when you bring in a manager like a relegation doctor like Big Sam or whoever. You need the players to want to do what the manager tells them to do. And if the players don't, if the players think you know I'm going to go next season or I don't mind getting relegated to the championship or whatever, which I think seems to be the ethos of Fulham, then you're in trouble. Like I, I think uh, it's already looks to me. I mean, twelve games left already looks fatal. Yeah. Um, can, can disagree with that. Uh, Maxime Le Marchand is the. I mean, they bought really badly. Obviously, Maxime Le Marchand is the worst defender I've seen in the Premier League this season. Uh, the rest, I mean, Ryan Babel from Besiktas. Like, uh, I think you made a very good point the other day. I can't remember where you made it, um, but the fact that Fulham went out and signed Ryan Babel in January when they've got Ryan Sessegnon, who you know is one of the best young yeah. European players, and it ties in very well with a piece you wrote about the German youngsters and British youngsters compared uh, with Michael Zork, yeah, yeah. Uh, the sporting director of Richard Dortmund. So that's on the website right now yeah. um, as part of a series of pieces you did in Dortmund last week. I guess by the time this gets published, uh, your Jaden Sancho interview will be out there. Yeah, well, what time is this going out this podcast? Uh, I don't want to break the embargo. Yeah, don't, don't break the embargo. Just tell us how good it was. Uh, so, yeah, on Thursday, I went to Dortmund. I went to Dortmund on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Dortmund put on a big media session for the British media. So there was someone from every newspaper there. We got about 25 minutes with Michael Zork, the CEO, 25 minutes with Jaden Sancho. Uh, I really liked Sancho. Uh, I thought that he was, like, confident, cool, chatty. Obviously, didn't... Like not media, obviously hadn't had much media training at the start. He's been like, oh wow, all this media for me. But he, like, I didn't. He wasn't like inarticulate or anything. He, he had some opinions. Yet, maybe he's not aware of the impact. Well, that, that's kind of something which I wrote in my piece is that he's. I mean, I, I'm I'm allowed to break this embargo because it's just my own thoughts. Like, I don't. I think he he isn't that famous here yet. Like he he will be. Like mm. they'll. But I think nowadays, if Jaden Sancho were to get the tube, then probably only it would only be nerds like us who would know who he was. Yep. Whereas, like in five years' time, he won't be able to get the tube anymore, or in three years' time, he won't be able to get the tube anymore. Yep. I actually think, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I'm pretty sure now. I think about it, he's going to break the British transfer record, uh, which is what currently held by Bale, eighty nine mm-hmm. million. Yep. Uh, I think when he leaves Dortmund, which I think will probably be like 2020, 2021, yep. either to uh, City United, PSG, Real Madrid or Barca, it will be for like 150, 200 million. He's that good. Uh, I really, only only bad injuries I think could stop the unstoppable, could stop the rise of Jaden Sancho because yeah. this kid is going to be absolutely phenomenal. To be doing what he's doing uh, in a league like the Bundesliga at 18 is absolutely remarkable. Uh, slight tangent, who's the most famous footballer you've seen on the tube? Uh, I once saw Damien Delaney in Vauxhall Starbucks. It's close. It's, it's near That'll near do. I it saw Benoit Asuakota on the Jubilee line once. Um, and that is the end of Tube Footballers. 
Um, Miguel, have you no, got an answer to that Miguel, question? Um, don't think, oh yeah, I don't think I have actually. I don't think I've ever seen uh, Famous for Porn on Tube. <laughs> Near a tube station? Full uh, on Broadway and Stamford Bridge. <laughs> I, I'm glad we asked Miguel that question. Um, I will also just uh, take a second to remind you all to join Independent Minds, the new subscription service from The Independent that gives you access to exclusive articles, events, ebooks, and a new app, all with no advertising. Subscribe today for just 15p a day. Visit independent.co.uk slash podcast. That's a vanity URL that is now working. And uh, hopefully we'll get more subscribers. I mean, you've had a couple of things behind that paywall, Miguel. Yeah. Um, you too, Jack. A lovely piece on uh, how South London's become one of the, the top breeding grounds in the world for uh, for football talent, fundamentally. Um, and that's kind of why we're going to talk about the Champions League this week, because it's as big as it gets. We know that Miguel loves the Champions League. Mr. Champions League, or as he likes to call himself, Senor Champions. Um, and biggest show in the game. Yeah, it is the, it is the biggest show in the game, though. So, the Champions League, um, you wrote a brilliant preview to the round of 16 um, for the website, as well as previewing Man United PSG tomorrow, which is a massive game. The last 16 preview is interesting because it kind of looks at the tournament as a whole. Um, for the people who, who can't read, don't want to read, <laughs> why... You know why? Why is this so big? What what's what's so relevant about it? What's important? Well, it's quite actually, and I think this is something of a recent trend. There was actually a spell where, particularly the Premier League, the, the it almost became for their own for the for their own clubs bigger than the Champions League. Where I, th- I think it's actually done a little bit of a flip because of the status that the Champions League has almost regained because of just how much weight the European clubs put on the status of it, and also because it's become such a a prime time week of it. I think there's something that's become really apparent over the last two seasons and that the quality of the games has genuinely been sensational. And it's actually, it's, I suppose it's a direct consequence of, really, in some way, everything that's bad about football in terms of the concentration of all resources and all focus at a handful of clubs making these, kind of, these matches huge events, putting even more weight in the competition, meaning winning the competition has a greater meaning for all of these clubs because of the status of bestows and because of the justification of what they're doing. And it is just a supercharged event in every sense like that. And basically, you know, as I said in my preview, it's kind of greed made to look good because it it is it is so entertaining. And yet, at the same time, I'm increasingly conscious now that this is probably what's destroying the very fabric of the game. Yeah. It's weird. On the one hand, it's the, it's the cancer that's destroying football. But on the other hand, it's absolutely delicious. <laughs> like, the, the game, like, it is so exciting. And it, you kind of wish that it wasn't, maybe. But it is. And I think I think Miguel touches on something really important there, which is that people have realised in the last sort of five, ten years that this absolutely is the future of the game. And it's all very well, like, saying, oh, no, the domestic league is the most important. But bollocks, like, that's not how it works. Like, I, I, couldn't, I, I, mean, I literally couldn't roll off the last ten La Liga winners for you. Uh, because it doesn't really matter that much, whereas the, the Champions League is just where it's at. Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid, I think, are the only three. But the, the point stands, because you, you've got to look at it. I, I, If I'm a club in the other 14 in the Premier League, you already have to be thinking about this future when the top six disappear, right? Um, I think that, in, in Miguel's preview, he touches on it, you know, a European Super League does feel inevitable, and there was actually a thing on the BBC about it today, which, which suggested 2024 is about right, and I think that with the speed things are going and the contractual situation surrounding uh, the territorial rights to broadcasting and a couple of the other UEFA things, I think 2024 is is looking increasingly like the date when a European Super League could actually come to fruition in 
its first form uh, because I think we'll obviously see it evolve and change over time. But this looks like something that's going to happen. Uh, I think we can't avoid that. Um, so for now, we can't. Do we just have to kind of enjoy it? Like you know, we take the fact that we get the Premier League every week, and it's not going to be forever. You know, like there's a chance that your kids and my kids won't have the Premier League as we know it. Um, so that, should that affect how we watch the Champions League, Jeff? Yeah, I, I mean, it's like, should we enjoy Manchester City or should we enjoy PSG? I mean, it's almost exactly the same question. Um, yeah, like morally, we should probably be more guarded against the Champions League because it is a, a it, it's effectively a destructive force or rather not, it's not the competition that's a destructive force. It's the fact it's like what the competition represents, which is an elite where only the best play the best, it is kind of encouraging the forces which are destructive to the game. It's not like the format of the game, and it's certainly not. It's not UEFA's fault that this is happening either, because the European Cup has such a historic importance in football. Um, but yeah, like I mean, it's a crucible of that greed. But if the Champions League didn't exist, then something else would replace it. Um, I think we have to. Enjoy, I mean, if you like football, you have to enjoy the football. Like the games are so. Like Miguel says, it's all the best players. It's all the best games. It's a standard unlike anything you see elsewhere. It's a standard miles better than like the World Cup, for example. Yeah. It is just as good as it gets. Yeah, but I mean, again, it comes back to that concentration of resources. And I think what's been particularly exhilarating as well is that it's really emphasised and accentuated this. What has been a kind of a gradual evolution towards attacking football due to. Uh, it, you know, tactical changes in the game due to rule changes, but it's brought all this together. I mean, the, the last two seasons have just had, I think, the collection well, I, I, of, inc- of I remember s- television events. I remember we sent you to Barca PSG yeah. and thinking it was going to be a great tie, and then obviously after the first tie, it looked mm. to be over, and, and but you still went. And yeah. I remember you and there were you were talking about not going, mm. and I'm sure to this day you're eternally grateful that you did go <laughs> because I uh, quite often. Miguel can get excitable around these big games. <laughs> I quite enjoy it. It's one of the few reasons uh, <laughs> I've got him in the job. But he uh, is is brilliant around the big games because he gets so excited and then comes up with like a million ideas in about a four-minute span. And talking to you after that PSG-Barca comeback is like, you, it was like you've completely lost your mind. <laughs> it was, but that was, I mean, so that's the ultimate example. That final goal is, yeah. is, was insane. Yeah. Was it Rab... Um, so Sergio Roberto, of course it was, yes. Um, but, thank you for that, thank you for that. But, um, the uh, it, 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 that that, would, that was almost that almost kickstarted I think this recent spell, and um, last season was same the Liverpool City games Madrid event that was an, actually another example Madrid event looked like it was over after the first leg after another special moment of that Ronaldo bicycle kick, and yet even though Madrid still went through they were pushed right to the wire well looked at another incredible comeback and then still more last minute and it's just it's like the the pure entertainment of the competition and the really high grade entertainment just keeps going and going. City. Yeah, it's proper prime time TV. Like. And, and we might as well talk about the games individually. I'm sure people have, have tuned in to hear that. Uh, Tuesday's games there are two: Man United versus PSG and Roma versus Porto. So Miguel, you're going to be at Man United PSG tomorrow, Old Trafford. Uh, Neymar is not playing, which is, I guess, the big. Yeah, it's amazing how. Do you remember when we did the, the the draw podcast? You know, and it was wow. This is you know PSG have to win it, and they're up against Mourinho's United, who are in a in a tailspin. This is kind of a new super club showing an old super club what they should be doing. And then what we've had since is PSG have struggled. Uh, they got taken to was it extra time by a third division team in the French Cup. Neymar is out um, because it's his sister's birthday again, and you've got. 
PSG, not necessarily in the same shape they were in terms of terrifying someone like United. And United have completely changed since they sacked Jose Mourinho because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is in there and, and he's the messiah. Uh, he had talks last week, we understand, Miguel, as you reported today with uh, the Glazer family, which suggests he's, he's closer probably than he's than anyone ever thought to uh, to being hired as, as the permanent manager. Uh, the Sun went big on that last night, I believe, as well. So that would be interesting if Solskjaer does get confirmed. If Solskjaer beats PSG over two legs, can you see a way where he doesn't? But Because didn't David Moyes get this far in the Champions League? The, the one thing I'd say about it is, I mean, at, at the moment, all looks very positive for Solskjaer. And yet, if... Because they still have an appointment of director of football, remember, and that, that the initial goal was to get a director of football in before the big managerial appointment. But yeah, if he loses to PSG, they lose to Liverpool, and suddenly there's a few wobbles, then you can imagine the club basically rowing back a bit, and all this, and then and, and the vibe can change so easily. Uh, in saying that, maybe, maybe this is partly influenced by just a run of form, and and, and it's always when teams run a sort of form, or, or alternatively, if say like. I don't know, Bournemouth are losing three games in a row. You're always kind of thinking, well, that, they're never winning a game again. At the moment, <laughs> it's a flip side of United. Think at the moment, they look like they're just not going to lose. And it is hard to escape the feeling that everything is going their way. Uh, so I, I think they'll knock PSG out. Um, but then again, re- reality can intervene, and there's, there's probably no reality like Kylian Mbappe running at Phil Jones. I think isn't Cavani a doubt as well? So yeah. that would mean two of PSG's front three are out. I don't know. Maybe that would mean the team's better balanced. Maybe but Di Maria might move further forward, which is interesting in itself, given his. Although you think it might, it might actually be almost what Tuchel would want, because in the sense that he'd probably rather play a more like organized defensive yeah. team for the away leg. Mm. Uh, now he gets the now he can because some of his big names are out. Mm. Um, it's interesting. I I don't really know which way to call it because I think we don't really have like the data that we need to assess Man United because we haven't seen United play. We haven't seen United play in Europe under Solskjaer. Yeah, like yeah. I, we kind of have almost nothing to go on. And even with PSG, like the information that we have is pretty limited. Like I, you know, I was there when they beat Liverpool in that crucial game in Paris in late November to go through, and uh, they were really, really impressive that day. And if they can repeat that, then I think they'll probably beat United. But they did have Neymar and Cavani that day, and that was a one-off. Like mm. afterwards, everyone was saying, "Oh wow, this is the best that PSG have played in Paris on, in, during the Qatari era." So I don't really think we can take that much confidence that PSG will necessarily replicate that performance. So that's why it's so exciting, right? Yeah, because completely. it's such like there are massive question marks over both sets of over o- both teams. O- also, it's probably the tie where there's been the most amount of ver- or most, most amount of elements of change basically since it was made, and and from the kind of wider perception of teams because United have changed their manager. And PSG are without their one big star, even even if, if mm-hmm. not their best player, uh, and potentially and Mounier as well. Looks like he's out. Um, yeah, it's one of those where I wouldn't really be that surprised if like either team won by a distance. Like there's a massive variance on both sides in this tie. Well, that's just, that, that's a strange um, recent evolution of the Champions League as well. It's also added to this now the number of high score and or sorry of high wins that yeah. are often then cancelled out in the second leg, explaining these these huge comebacks. Um, it is as if kind of suddenly teams send when they send some sort of weakness in the opposition at this level, they brutally go for fifty minutes. One of the Liverpool City, yeah. Exactly, yeah. That that that's a really interesting point. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because 
Maybe it's because the the teams that play in the Champions League, by definition, have to do so little defending yeah. in a domestic league. Like because they've always got the yeah, ball, yeah. they're always attacking in the domestic league. That as soon as somebody attacks them, they're like, oh Christ, we don't know what to do. Like what do we do? And then and then and then they panic. And you yeah. can see that a little bit in like the travails of Bayern Munich in the last few years. Is that yeah. they are a team which is for a team which is so dominant and yeah. should be so robust, they fall to pieces under pressure Completely. all the time. And the same thing is true of City now. And it's quite a, like it's quite a change from what the Champions League is, what was used to be even a decade ago. Because I remember what completely defined it was really, really cagey. Shit on the stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but not even not even going that... Like, I'd say that that was kind of a properly negative game rather than a cagey game. I, I mean more so in terms of... Like, they were high quality, but it was high tension. And the high right, tension yeah, yeah. kind of meant there wasn't many goals. Whereas I think I think the shit in the stick was more a more kind of prominent example, if you know what I mean, because, yeah, yeah. just because the, the two managers that were there. But even between, say, really attacking sides like... Say Barcelona, Benfica in 05 06, I think it was 1 0 over two legs. Um, whereas that, that, that's something basically. Barcelona, Man United 2008. Yeah, yeah, that as well, yeah. Um, so basically, I think a quality that has defined Champions League knockout football or European Cup knockout football for 40 years has been completely exploded in the last five years. In fact, there's a piece in that, actually. Yeah, I wouldn't be. Yeah, it's cool, actually, isn't it? Like going into these games knowing that. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised to see big wins either way. Like we're doing, should we move on to Tottenham Dortmund? Yeah, why not? So yeah, Migs and I are going to Tottenham Dortmund at Wembley on Wednesday, and again, I do think you you'll see a lot of attacking from both teams. Like Tottenham certainly uh, only ever attack, even though they don't well, the have Kane and Ali. First legs of Champions League knockouts are traditionally yeah cagey, so we think it's going to be different. Yeah, I do think it will be different. Uh, I also think Dortmund. Have... I don't think they have been cages anymore. When, when, when was the last cagey? Champions League first leg you can think of actually well this is a, a trick question because I don't remember all the Champions League knockout ties <laughs> yeah. that ever happened and you do uh, so <laughs> it's a completely unfair question to ask me it's like me asking you like the last good Palace performance but I think um, like it, it's just been a, a thing isn't it you know the, the goals are much lower in the first leg because teams play more defensively you know, and, it, and they're higher in the second leg because the stakes are more immediate and on the line I guess that's actually just a result of, of how things happen. Sorry to cut across you, but, but if, no, it's just, if, you, if you look at it, and that's, I, I do think that has, ch- that has changed specifically in the last two years. If, if you think of some of the most prominent games of, the, of, the, of that time, so you had Spurs 2, so Juventus 2, Spurs 2 in Turin, um, with, with a brilliant comeback. We've had the Liverpool City games, Barca-Roma, uh, PSG-Barca, uh, and, I, I and also linked to that, I think, now this might be relevant to the wider debate about the away goal, but I think actually that, that's becoming less relevant. It's one of those kind of law of unintended consequences thing where actually, where I think the away goal stifled attacking football for a while, it's actually come back around and that it's, it's helping perpetuate these massive scorelines because and teams suddenly think they can they can get them back. But but yeah, but another old thing of basically teams going away in the first leg and kind of just you know keeping it tight, that, that appears gone now. And it, it does feel... I probably need to look at the stats in this to really back it up, but it feels if teams just, when they when they go to an away ground, maybe this is due to the fact they're also they play each other so often, they're all familiar, they all see each other on TV all the time. They they go to a big away ground in Champions League and they're willing to actually play their game. I certainly think familiarity plays uh, plays a part in that. I think it's interesting as well that you've got maybe games like Tottenham Dortmund where they are highly rated kind of underdoggy sort of teams. You know, Spurs are still. You know, at a push in the title race, but they are an underdog in the title race, and they're an underdog in the Premier League because they've got a smaller wage budget than teams that have finished below them. As things stand, Dortmund are constantly fighting against Bayern. Who, unless you really look at the numbers 
the sheer scale of, of Bayern Munich and, and how much more money they make than the other German clubs is astonishing. Partially because of the historic advantage of having been in, in Bavaria, which is the industrial heartland, where all the sponsors would come from, so Audi and all these com- Allianz, I guess, and all these other companies that have basically bankrolled Bayern for years. So they're kind of the underdoggy teams. Man United PSG are two established teams. Um, w- do you actually have a like a solid prediction? you think United will do this now? I'd say I'm 51%, 49% in favour of United. Even even without Yeah, because I I think it just... Yeah, and ultimately, like, you can't get away from... If Mappe gets a run at that defence... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing about United is... And we might see the goals because if you've got Mbappe running at Lindelof or or Chris Smalling, then it does feel like curtains, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Roma Porto is also that night. Uh, A one-sentence preview from you. Um, without wishing to diminish the two clubs, because they both have rich European heritage, both been in Champions League finals, Porto have won two. Um, it's almost a shame that these two have met in the last 16 and United PSG have also met because it means basically two. Well, maybe, see, again, this is. this is See, I, I, that, that viewpoint I've just raised, I, I am guilty of precisely the, this problem of the game at the moment. And I've been seduced by the wealth of Champions League. Miguel is an absolute sucker for like the biggest seven teams and no one else. I told you, he's a footballing Tory. A footballing Tory, as I coined. Um, which is why he's a little bit gutted to see Ajax playing Real Madrid at this stage as well. No, no, I want Ajax to... Uh, in fact, in December, I backed Ajax to win. I was very excited about it. Now, I don't think they will. I think Madrid, like Madrid have turned things around sufficiently. And whereas, basically, in December, Madrid were not using any of their quality... Now they are, and ultimately, the young apart and all, and all the rest of it, they've got, I think, too much, much mature quality for Ajax, and that will tell. Yeah, I well, don't really have any thoughts about this game. <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought you had. I, had I, I thought you had thoughts. No, uh, my thoughts are I wanted to interview Matthias Delict, and I thought <laughs> I was going to, but then it, the plug got pulled, and that's kind of the extent of my research into that time. Well, beyond winning the Champions League, the, the actual the game possibly has huge significance for. The wider football Pochettino. world. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And what else happens? Um, f- the latest I heard was basically that Perez now has no interest in Mourinho. Um, the Solari has done a good job and they're actually quite impressed with him. There is a chance, not unlike Solskjaer, there's a chance that he could get the job in the summer, um, which could have a massive ripple effect. But then if he loses this, you'd imagine there's absolutely no chance of that. Rafa? Um, can- Un- unfinished business at Rafa. <laughs> This has become a fine Rafa job. Where, 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 where would you most like to see Rafa in a job? Well, actually. number one, Manchester City. Number two, <laughs> uh, uh, post Pochino at Tottenham. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Arsenal. There's lots of good options out there. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he, I don't think Arsenal would be very different if Rafa was manager instead of Emery. I, I think Benitez is a better manager than Emery. Yeah. Is that is that that's the new thing? That's what we're gonna. Do you want to sign off on that? As a good, it's a strong no, sign off. I've actually got a better. You got a better sign off. Okay. What what subject do you want me to veer you on to for this red hot sign off? Uh, so I want you to say what is. Uh, so basically, the answer is seven. What's the question? Um, what number does Jaden Sancho wear for Borussia Dortmund? Yeah, it's also how many tweets has Miguel Delaney sent, sent during this podcast recording? <laughs> uh, I I can check. I think. I think it's seven. Let, I just checked. Oh, you, you did just check. Um, yes, he sent seven tweets during this podcast. Um, all well, good content, is it, Miguel? Really good content. Yeah, he's been arguing with people about this article. It was really, really good. Great engagement. Um, 
Yes, good, good. Uh, so uh, it's Champions League week. We'll also have Champions League football next week. So when we come back for next Monday, we will review this week's Champions League stuff, which is bound to be great. This weekend's games, which are FA Cup, and that culminates in that big Monday night game, doesn't it? Which is uh, Chelsea Manchester United. Yeah. So actually, on that is that for all the talk about is that at Sanford Bridge? Yeah, it's at Bridge. So come in and do a podcast before. We'll preview yeah. that next Monday during the day, and but, we'll preview the. But is, is this not a bit of a problem with the FA Cup? Because it's biggest game, and they're basically taking it out of the weekend. Meaning, for a lot of people, for some footballing Tories, maybe there's basically there's not much on this weekend. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there are lots of like Newport County fans uh, and Doncaster fans who are giddy at the thought yeah, yeah. Of, of huge Premier uh, League players. The, like, And the best to look to them. Yeah. So, so you're going to win 8-0. Um, yeah. well, so, you know, City might not. It could be one of those freak games on a terrible pitch at Rodney Parade. Um, you're going only to the game on Monday night. That's correct. Jack, are you, you're doing Monday night. Um, and you're also doing a Friday night game. QPR. QPR versus Watford. Absolutely Brilliant stuff in yeah, the FA Cup. So, well, QPR, this is basically the furthest they've gone in the FA Cup since when? Uh, like the mid-90s, I think. Since, early 90s. Since Trevor Sinclair. Uh, so, Trevor Sinclair was the last time they won a third-round game outright, as in without needing a replay. But well, it was that bicycle, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, had a, I had a mate at secondary school, massive QPR fan, got the worst worst ever tattoo at 14, just saying QPR in like Times New Roman on his chest. Um, but <laughs> wow. He, yeah, no, ter- <laughs> like, really bad. How do you get a tattoo age 14? Because he kind of looked like 16, but he was desperate to get a tattoo. Don't you need, an I- don't you need ID? I don't know. He, he got I don't know where he got it. Probably abroad. But dreadful. Like, not even the logo. Like, not even the proper, like, fielding coloured logo. Literally just black text. Anyway, the point being, I remember when QPR got knocked out to, by Vauxhall Motors, and he was, like, complaining about it and said, we, we always lose in the cup. But yeah, they got and then they just carried records. that on for, like, another 10 years. Um, they lost something like... Se- it, was something, it was something like 18 out of 21 consecutive... FA Cup ties like they never got out of the third round and when they did they needed a replay to do it which is ironic because QPR's most prominent media fan Tony Incenzo is always going on about the magic of the cup that's true Yeah, and the magic of the cup uh, will be I'm sure a huge topic next Monday when Miguel dissects Doncaster Rovers against Crystal Palace Newport County against Manchester City and many others as well as our preview of Chelsea versus Manchester United and, and next week's Champions League next week's piping Champions League we've got Liverpool versus Bayern Munich um, because you know it means more to them. So uh, until next week, Miguel, thank you for coming in. Uh, I know Red Dead Redemption is waiting for you. Jack has to take no, a phone call. We've got a match tonight. Jack is taking a phone call from someone. Actually, I won't say his name because it might be a source at some point. Um, so Jack Bitbrook, thank you for coming in. Um, as always, uh, thank you for listening. If you don't already subscribe, please do. Uh, if you don't already subscribe to Independent Minds, a new subscription service from the Independent that gives you access to exclusive articles, events, ebooks, and a new app, all with no advertising, just subscribe today. Only 15p a day, uh, Miguel. What can you get for 15p these days? Some few penny, 15 penny sweets. No, no, not even true because penny sweets are more expensive than that. So you can't get anything for 15p a day except an Independent Minds subscription. Visit independent.co.uk slash podcast to find out more and tune in next week to find out exactly what's gone down in the Champions League. Goodbye. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f***? 
are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.